Well, welcome to Raider Church. My name is Clayton Walker. I'm the pastor here at Raider Church and pumped to be here with you guys tonight. That was my son in that video. Isn't he cute? He's, uh, he's seven years old. He's going to turn eight this fall, and he's the, the cutest thing in the world. And uh, my wife and I have been, Darby, been married for 14 years this summer. And here's a picture of our family from July 4th. That's my wife, Darby. That's my 10-year-old son, Levi. My seven-year-old son, Coben, and then my daughter, she's four. Her name is Nixon. She likes to be called Nixie Poo. Um, we didn't name her. Her middle name is not really Poo. She just calls herself that. So that's Nixie Poo. And as you can tell, my wife couldn't keep her hands off me. We got three kids, and it really hasn't ever stopped. Uh, so that's, that's my family. They just went back to school. And I, it was shocking to me that my kids just went back like yesterday, just like a lot of you did. It was, it was crazy. And so we did the first day of, of school pictures. And one of the things I've loved about this summer is seeing all the school pictures from you guys as you're coming in to tech. Like if you're living in the dorms, uh, I feel like I've seen the inside of every one of your rooms. Like you have this before picture and this after picture. And so whether you know it, like I know you, I know where you live. Like I know what your room looks like. And I, I hope that's not creepy. But so I've seen some of the, the pictures of your rooms and girls, I'm impressed. Like I'm super impressed with what you can do with a tiny dorm room. Okay. And with your bed and with that like corkboard wall that's on the wall and with those shelves and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm super impressed at your after pictures. Like here's, here's a girl's dorm room. Watch this. This is like Pinterest exploded in this room, right? This girl has wood. I, I don't know how. But she turned this wall, like she put wood on the back of her wall. And then she's got like these awesome pictures and pillows and this, this comforter. And so this is like a typical, this is like a girl's room. This is the after picture, okay? Here's the guy's after picture. <laughs> Just nothing, nothing at all. There's nothing. I mean, it's like there's, they've left the thermos here and there's nothing. It's like a homeless thing going on here. I, I don't know. So... But man, we are pumped to start a new semester of Raider Church. We're starting a brand new series tonight called Adulting. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about three ways for you to thrive in college, for you to own college. Because see, here's the thing. College is either going to own you or you are going to own college. You'll thrive in college. So we're going to talk about the ways that you can own college, the ways that you can thrive in college. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 Kings chapter 12. We'll be going there in just a minute, 1 Kings 12. I'll have the verses and everything on the screen here in just a second. But you can go ahead and flip there. You can also go to RaiderChurch.com on your phone and follow along with us. We'll have the verses and the points and everything there. Just click on sermon notes at RaiderChurch.com. So when I was in high school, okay, I went to Coronado High School here in, in, in Lubbock. And um, our arch rival, like our nemesis, was Monterey high school. Okay. It's the Monterey Plainsman. Okay. And I was on the basketball team. I ran around with the basketball guys. And so when we were, uh, on that night, like we did some crazy stuff like the night before that football game, like me and some of the other basketball guys, like one night, I remember we were driving through this neighborhood, like super fast. And we were in the back of this truck with paintball guns and like the local neighborhood cop. Okay. Not like a real cop, but like the neighborhood cop, like comes flying up behind us in his car. And we stand up in the back of this truck while it's flying through this neighborhood and we shoot the windshield of this car with paintballs. Well, he was really smart and so he turned on his windshield wipers and it covered his windshield in the paintball paint and he slammed on his brakes. We died laughing and kept going, okay? Another time, like 
I'm kind of afraid to say this because uh, I know we've got some police in the room, but we, we broke into the high school and we trashed it and put streamers everywhere and, and put a trash can over the Plainsman statue and took pictures with it. And we just did all kinds of crazy stuff. And then I'll never forget to those same guys, I started dating this girl who was like a year or two older than me in, in high school. And they were like, oh dude, man, she is super easy. Like you can easily get some from her. And I was like, I was a sophomore. I was like, what? What is it? You know, what are you, what are you talking? But they were like challenging me and pushing me to like go do, you know, do all kinds of crazy stuff with this girl. And so man, this group, I'm telling you, was bringing me nothing but prison and Raider Ash. Okay. That was, that was what my future was with this group of guys. And listen, listen, your group, your inner circle, your squad, your, your we, okay. Your we that you kind of hang out with. Okay. They are going to determine whether or not you thrive in college. They are going to determine whether college owns you or whether you own college. It's going to depend on the group that you run around with. I'm going to show you what I mean here in first Kings chapter 12. But before we get there, this is a story about King Rehoboam, and you may never heard of this guy before. But his great-granddad was David. It was the same David and Goliath, who was the second king of Israel. And David's son was Solomon, and then Rehoboam was Solomon's son. And so I'm going to give you a little backstory for Rehoboam, and then we'll, we'll get to the story of Rehoboam. So first of all, you got David. David, the same David who defeated Goliath with the, the stone. Okay, So he becomes king over Israel. Not too long after he becomes king, he's out on his roof, and he's looking around down over the town, and he spots this woman bathing on her roof. Okay. Now don't ask me why she was bathing on her roof. Okay. It makes no sense to me, but that's what she was doing. She was bathing on the top of her roof. So like any dude, okay. Like any guy, when he sees this, okay, instead of turning his eyes and walking away, he gets out the binoculars and he's like, looking, okay. And he's like, I mean, just looking her up and down. Okay. So he sends some of his people over to get her. He ends up sleeping with her. She's married. He ends up having her husband killed. I mean, just straight savage, like kills the lady's husband, gets pregnant with this woman. And there's this prophet of God. His name is Nathan. And he's in David's inner circle. Like David trusts him. He's close to David. He knows King David backwards and forwards. He knows him. And so he goes to David in just the right way because he knows him so well. He comes to David and he points out this sin in David's life. And David repents. Like he turns from his sin and he writes this epic psalm, this epic prayer in Psalm 51. You could read it. Where he says, God, forgive me, I've sinned. Blot out my sin, forgive my sin. Cast this as far as the east is from the west. He says, restore the, the joy of my salvation. Don't take your presence from me. And so he writes this epic psalm of just asking God for forgiveness and to restore this broken relationship that David had. And it was because he had someone in his inner circle, in his squad, Nathan, that knew exactly how to confront David with that sin. So David has a son, his name is Solomon. And David, right before he dies, he gives advice to Solomon on how to, to lead this kingdom that's been built through Saul and now David especially. And so he gives advice to his son, Solomon. Well, Solomon is young when he becomes king. And so here's what Solomon does. He takes a lot of the priests of God that were in David's inner circle and he makes them his advisors. 
And so he has all these guys that are surrounding him, priests of God and leaders and, and people like that that are in his inner circle, that like are in his squad that he goes to for advice. And they're all much older than him and they have a lot more experience than he does. And so he would ask them for advice. Solomon had a solid inner circle. And it says, as a result, Solomon asked God for wisdom. God said, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you want. And instead of Solomon asking for riches and power and, and fame, Solomon asks God for wisdom. At this point in his life, he's got a humble heart. He's listening to his inner circle. And so he asks God for wisdom, and God gives him wisdom and then, and then some. He gives him power and fame and riches. And it says, there was never a king like Solomon, the Bible says, in all the earth who had the riches and the wisdom and the power that Solomon had. Solomon had a solid inner circle and it brought him blessing and honor instead of pain and destruction. Well, Solomon has a son named Rehoboam and the story begins to turn with Rehoboam. Like the kingdom of Israel in Jude, like it's on this up and to the right incline. But it comes to Rehoboam and everything changes. The story takes a turn for the worse and here's why. When Rehoboam becomes king, the Israelites come to him and they say, Rehoboam, um, under your father, we worked hard. We were oppressed and they had, they had been building the, the tabernacle or the temple rather under the kingdom of, of Solomon. And so they're, they're, they've worked hard and, and they've been giving so much. And so they, they come to Rehoboam and they say, Rehoboam, we, we worked so hard for your father. Now, would you lighten the load on us? Would you lift that load of oppression and, and work off of us? Because we worked so hard under your father, Solomon. And so Rehoboam is considering their request. He's trying to figure out what to do. And so this is where the story picks up. First Kings chapter 12, starting in verse 6, says this, says this. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father. So remember, Solomon had kept the inner circle that, that had come down from David, his father. He was young, he was inexperienced, so he kept that counsel. He kept those priests and those leaders that had advised David. He listened to them because he knew he didn't know everything and he needed some help. And so Rehoboam starts out with the same thing. He starts out with these older men who had counseled his father Solomon. What is your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam, watch this, rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. What is your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? So Rehoboam rejects the advice of the older advisors that had come down, that he had inherited from his father Solomon. And instead, he asked the advice, he gets the counsel of some guys he had grown up with who really knew nothing, who didn't know the, the history of, of Israel, who didn't, who didn't know what he should do, who wouldn't tell him the truth probably. And so Rehoboam rejects the older advisors. He goes with the, his young friends and, and, and what they say. And here's what ends up happening. The Israelites reject Rehoboam. They reject him as their king. They all go home and they rebel against him. Then there's another territory that, that Rehoboam is over Judah. 
He leads Judah away from God to worship idols. And then Egypt comes and attacks them and takes away all the riches and, and, and the, the fame and the, 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 the buildings and everything. It takes all of it away from them. And Rehoboam is left with almost nothing. Because he listened to an inner circle who didn't have his best interest in mind. You see, your inner circle, your squad, your, your we that you kind of run with, reveals really more about what's going on in you. It really reveals your heart and what you value. You want to know where your heart is, what you value? You can look around your circle and see your we, your inner circle, and see what is your circle value? What does your circle like to do? And it will reveal a lot about what's going on in your heart. See, Rehoboam didn't want to worship God. He had a heart that turned away from God, that strayed from God. And the group that he listened to really revealed that about him. They told him what he wanted to hear. And so Rehoboam and his selfish desires listened to that group and it brought him pain and destruction and regret. You see, your squad, your inner circle that you run with will determine whether you thrive during your time in college or whether you just barely survive, if that. It will determine whether college owns you or whether you own college. So the question is, how do you know if you've got the right inner circle? Well, let's check this out. Here's some ways you can know you've got the right inner circle. First of all, their advice starts with the Bible says. Not, oh, well, here's what I think. Or here's what I saw on TV. Or here's what you know, happened in this movie. Or here's what social media is saying. No, that's not the way their advice comes from. It doesn't come from some cute saying that everyone sees and, and retweets on, on Twitter. No, it starts out with the Bible says this. That's how you know you've got someone in your inner circle that should be there or not. That's how you know that if that person in your inner circle is going to lead you to blessing and honor versus pain and destruction and regret. Is if their advice starts out with, the Bible says. Number two, they pray for you. And not just, oh, I'll pray for you, or, or kind of replies on Twitter, you know, oh, I'm, I'm praying for you, or, or, or just, you know, in passing says, no, they stop. They listen to what's going on in your life, and they'll put a hand on your shoulder, and they'll pray for you. You know, one of the things I've, I've tried to do more and more of is that if I'm talking with someone and sharing, someone is asking me to pray for something and I'm, and I'm with them right now, I'll try to stop and remember, I need to pray for this person right now. And I'll say, can I pray for you right now? And I'll put my hand on the shoulder and I'll, just, I'll pray for them. Or if someone messages me a prayer request, if you've ever messaged me before and asked me to pray for you, I get a lot of those. A lot of times I'll say, I'm praying for you right now. And what that means is I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray for that right now. Instead of just telling you I'm going to pray for it, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to pray right then. You know you've got someone that should be in your inner circle and that's going to lead to blessing and honor if they really do pray for you. And when something's going on in your life and when you're struggling or, or when you're depressed or, or you're brokenhearted or whatever, they will stop and they will pray for you. They'll come to your house, your dorm, your apartment. They will stop with their, and they will come and pray for you. That's someone that should be in your inner circle. Three, they have your back. They don't just tell you something to your face and then go and talk differently about you behind your back. They, they have your back. They're, they're for you. When someone's talking bad about you, they'll, they'll stand up for you. That's how you know they, they have your back. And if something's wrong with 
your relationship, instead of talking about it with other people, they'll come directly to you and one-on-one they'll address the situation. That's how you know someone has your back and should be in your inner circle. And then last, very similar to number three, they'll confront you. You see, just like Nathan confronted David in his sin and it saved David. In fact, David was known as a man. God considered David a man after his own heart. Yet he committed adultery. He committed murder. But he was a man after God's heart. Why? Well, it has a lot to do with Nathan. Being in David's inner circle and knowing him well enough to be able to confront him with the truth and love. In a way that David would respond. And the same is true. You need people in your inner circle that will tell you the truth. They won't just tell you what you need to hear, but they will come to you one-on-one and they will tell you the truth in a loving way. That's how you know someone should be in your inner circle. And so when you look around your inner circle and you don't see those things, you may realize you need a new circle. You need a new inner circle. Not that you can't be friends with those people, but you need a new inner circle people that you run with and that you do life with. You see, and here's what's amazing about this. This is true whether you're a believer or not. Say you're here and you don't really care about this whole church thing, this whole Jesus thing, you know, whatever. You're just here maybe because someone invited you or you wanted to try out the belly flop or whatever. But listen, these principles will help you in your life regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. So I challenge you to keep coming even throughout this series because as we talk about each one of these things, they're going to be applicable to your life whether you're a Christ follower or not. And what I think you'll find is by living these things out, you'll begin to see that God's way is best. You know, it says in Proverbs 13, verse 20, it says this, walk with the wise and become wise. So if your inner circle, if you're walking with people who are wise in your squad, your we that you run around with, you, if you're walking with wise people, you'll become wise. But watch this. If you associate with fools, you'll get in trouble. So in other words, watch this. This is kind of our big idea for tonight. Your friends determine your future. I would write that down if I were you. Someone just took a picture of it, I think. Your friends determine your future. You walk with the wise, you'll become wise. You associate with fools, you're going to get in trouble. So you show me your friends, you show me your inner circle, I'll show you your future. I'll show you where you're headed. You see, your inner circle is going to determine whether you thrive in college or whether you barely survive. It's going to determine whether college owns you or whether you own college. And one of our own students, his name is Will Curry, emailed me probably a year ago and told me his story, and he found this to be true for him too. I want you to hear his story. Here's what he said. In high school, I began an unhealthy lifestyle of drinking and doing drugs recreationally. Pretty soon, my life started slowly spiraling out of control. I became empty inside and was constantly seeking for fulfillment in substances and people, but only found disappointment each time. I started college and partying only got more rampant in my life. On the outside, I was prideful and gave the image that I knew what was going on in my life. But on the inside, my heart was utterly collapsing and wondering if this was all life would ever be. Could I ever leave behind the road I was traveling down? 
That's when Raider Church came around in the spring of 2014. I had started attending and loved it. Even friends I was in sin with joined me and we all seemed to get something out of it. Those friends, however, soon graduated that May and and left Lubbock. I got caught up in a new group of friends and then another group and then another. Each one constantly dragging back into a lifestyle I was quickly growing tired of. Life was completely exhausting and I had enough. I would still attend Raider Church every now and then to recharge myself in my spiritual deadness, but could never quite make myself choose which side of the fence I wanted to be on. Then summer of 2015 came to a close and my friends had finally all left and I was about to begin my senior year. I knew it was time for a fresh start. And so I got into a life transformation group. That's one of our small groups that meet during the week for Bible study and prayer. And my life started turning around. Jesus gave me fulfillment I had sought after for years. I realized my identity in the one who created me. And little did I know what God had in store for me not long after that. This spring, 2016, Clayton had a message about the nations and turning red countries into green ones. I remember how cool being a missionary sounded when I was a kid at church. Something in my heart just told me I needed to learn more. And so I received prayer that night and signed up for a phase one group. God has radically changed my heart and life this summer through steps of obedience. I'm currently in phase two, training hopefully one day to go to Thailand long-term. Praise God for himself and for Raider Church, never giving up on me. Will changed his inner circle. He changed his playground and playmates. We say that a lot here. He changed where he played and who he played with. So he changed his playgrounds and playmates and it changed his life. And maybe some of you need to do that. You need to do what Will did. You need to get involved in a small group. You need to get involved in an inner circle that will push you towards Jesus, not away from Jesus. It changed Will's life, and I believe it will for you too. Some of you are here and you're just starting out college. And maybe Will's story is a warning for you to be careful about who you bring into your inner circle. Maybe it's a warning to you to start off college on the right foot with an inner circle that will push you to Jesus and not away. Many of you know this, but when I was a junior in high school, my my parents got divorced. And the years that followed were absolute hell for everyone in my family. It was a terrible time. years of my life. But that same year, right before my parents got divorced, I had gotten involved with a small group of guys that were reading the Bible together and praying together. And when my life started to spiral out of control and spiral downward with my family, that group of guys was there for me to encourage me to pray for me. Many of them have been there for me from that time on till now. I'm still close with some of those guys. In fact, one of them is here tonight praying for me as I speak. But if it hadn't been for those guys in my life when I was a junior in high school, there is no telling what would have happened. 
I would have run from God rather than running to God. But because I had that accountability in my life and that inner circle that was pushing me to Jesus, they literally, Jesus did it through them, but they saved my life. Because when I was down, the we circled around me and lifted me up. When I was broken, that we circled around me and lift me up and brought healing. When I was depressed, when I was anxious, when I was hurting, the we circled around me and pointed me to Jesus, my hope, my savior, my rescuer. That group saved my life. Because you see, when things get tough in your life, and it's not if, it's when, it's when things get tough in your life, you need the right group around you. And listen, some of you guys that have been here for years, you've been at tech, you've been in college, you know this is a hard time of your life. And things are not always going to be great. They're going to be tough. They're going to be extremely hard. You need the right inner circle around you at that moment when times get tough to lift you up. You need that we to circle around me and lift you up and point you to Jesus, the source of hope and peace and fulfillment, healing. You need the right inner circle around you. You know, when I was in San Francisco this spring, it was my wife's 35th birthday and so uh, we went to San Francisco and we were there for a week. And one of the things we did is we crossed the Golden Gate Bridge and we went up into Muir Woods where there was a bunch of redwood trees. We did this hike and just saw these incredible redwood trees that are just incredibly tall. The tallest redwood tree will grow to 350 feet. Some of these trees, you can literally, you could drive a car through them. They're that big, they're that tall. And so we were on this hike and we came across this cluster of trees and, and, and here's a picture of them. And you can kind of tell with these redwoods, uh, there's a tree, a tree, there's one back there, there's another one back behind there, there's another one, there's another one. There's, they, they form in these circles. It's called a family circle of redwoods. And you know how a redwood can grow so tall and yet not fall over because of the wind? It's because they grow together in a family circle. And so the roots from all of these trees down underneath the ground are intertwined together. And so they're able to hold each other up when times get tough. They grow together in a family circle. And listen, the same thing is true for you. If you're going to grow spiritually, if you're going to stand the test of time when times get tough, you've got to grow in a family circle. You need to circle up with some people who will point you to Jesus, who will point you to hope. And so let me ask you, maybe you're like I was when I was in high school. Are, are you sad? Are you hurting? Are you brokenhearted right now? Are you depressed? Are you anxious? Are you struggling financially? Are you overwhelmed with the start of school? You need a we to circle around me. You need a family circle. And the way that you do that is by joining the family. You see, some of you are here tonight and you think that maybe because you're here tonight, 
or maybe because you come a few more times this semester, or maybe because you went to church a little bit in high school, that that somehow makes you right with God. It doesn't. The Bible is clear in, in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine. It says that salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. In other words, good people don't go to heaven. Church people don't go to heaven. You're not a part of the family. You're not a part of the club just because you're here tonight or just because you come a few more times this semester or just because you went to church when you were in high school or middle school. You're, you're not a part of the family because you attend something. You're born into a family. And the same thing is true with God's family. You can only be born again into his family. And the Bible says the way that you do that is by committing your life to Christ. You give your life to Jesus. And here's why. Because the Bible says every one of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. To go to heaven, when we die, to have a relationship with him, we've fallen short of his standard to be right with him. And not only that, because of our sin, the Bible says there's a fine to be paid for our sin. We've broken God's law. When you break man's law, you pay man's fine. When you break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin is eternity, separated from him in a place called hell. And so Jesus came because God loves you so much. Jesus came and he died on the cross to save you from your sin, to pay your fine. And so the Bible says, when you commit your life to Christ, when you trust in Jesus' payment of your fine, your sin is completely forgiven. The fine's been paid. You can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. You're right with God now. When you commit your life to Christ, when you trust in Jesus' payment of your fine, some of you have never made that decision before. You thought you were part of the family because you came. You're not. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Good people, church people, don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And you're only forgiven of your sin when you commit your life to Christ. And so tonight, there's a card in your chair. It says, can I get a card on it? Some of you are here and you need to commit your life to Christ for the first time tonight. I would challenge you, take out that card, check the box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ. Then after the service is over, take that to our Next Step Center in the lobby. We've got a Bible just to help you in your new relationship with Jesus. And we've got a team there that wants to pray with you and celebrate that decision with you. So if you're committing your life to Christ, make sure to check that box. Commit your life to Christ and join the family. Join this family. And we'll grow together. And when times get tough, we'll hold each other up. We'll lift each other up and we'll point each other to Jesus. Would you stand up in your chair right where you're at? Our team's gonna lead us in worship here in just a second. We're gonna have prayer teams all over this auditorium. They're gonna have orange glow sticks on so that you know that you can go to them and pray and have someone pray for you. Maybe tonight you're sick or you're struggling, you're depressed, you're anxious, whatever's going on in your life, they're here to pray with you. Maybe tonight you just feel like, man, I want a fresh touch from God and I need for God to forgive me of my sin and just help me return and come back to him. If that's you, go see one of our prayer team members and let them pray for you. But tonight, the other way that you're gonna join the family 
is you're gonna go all in with Raider Church. Some of you got one foot in with Jesus and one foot out. You need tonight to go both feet all in with Raider Church and join this family circle. And as this family circle worships God here in just a second, you're gonna experience healing. You're gonna experience joy and peace and fulfillment and satisfaction because His power is gonna fill this place. And you're gonna receive healing. You're gonna be filled with joy, an unexplainable joy as we worship God together. So let's sing.